Well, today is a very special episode with a very special guest, and you won't want to miss it. Stay tuned. All right. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to The Essential Podcast. This is Tommy Barco with Barco Financial. And today we're going to talk about occupation. This is part of our format, family, occupation, recreation, money. And for occupation, a lot of times people start thinking about the job that they have. And so we expound on that and actually include what we would say is your purpose or as an essentialist, your highest point of contribution. So I am super excited to have a dear friend, and founder and executive director of an awesome nonprofit called iHeartWorld. Brian Russo is here with me. What's going on, Brian? I am doing great, Tommy. How are you? I'm doing great. I am excited to talk about this and talk a little bit about your journey into iHeartWorld with you in season and then talk about ways that people can get involved and what iHeartWorld does and is and even something a lot of people probably won't know, we have a really cool resource actually right here in Mobile on the Gulf Coast. So, Brian, you are now the executive director of iHeartWorld. That's your official title, right? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, has not been your lifelong career. You guys you felt called to this and began to contribute. And uh, I know the story, and it's really cool. I won't spoil anything for the listeners, but... Ultimately, you were able to relocate to Wisconsin and plant some really cool roots there with the organization and what it's accomplishing, as well as keeping everything going here in Mobile. And this has obviously become a full-time passion, job, opportunity, hobby all the way around. So tell us a little bit about how you got here and maybe inspire somebody to do something similar. Yeah, so... um Gosh, how did I get here? That's a great question. <laughs> a little over, about about nine years ago, yeah. uh, my wife Susan and I kind of stumbled into uh, starting a nonprofit. That's how I describe it, because I think that's the best description for it. But we were at a conference and in 2009, at the end of 2009, we heard about uh, the issue of human trafficking, uh, sex trafficking specifically, for the very first time, and we were just dumbfounded that slavery still exists today and that it's at the level that it is. And so we immediately felt like we needed to do something. Uh, we didn't know what, though. And so we, we took some time to, to really step back and survey our lives and kind of figure out what it is that we had in our hands at the time that we could use to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those issues that it's, it's, it's really compelling for a lot of people. It's um it's very it's very heartbreaking mm -hmm. when you hear the stories and so a lot of people when they hear about the issue when they hear the stories they want to do something but the challenge with this particular issue is that it's really difficult to for a lot of people to figure out how to get involved mm -hmm. because it's not one of those things that you can get directly involved in like right away you can't go out and you know, uh, go all Liam Neeson on people. <laughs> and so, uh, you, you'll, you'll get shot and yeah. you'll die. Um, and so, uh, so we, we were like, okay, what can we actually do? So at that, at that point in time, uh, we figured, we realized, you know, we can, 
host an awareness event and invite the community. We invited our church. And uh, leading up to it, we wanted to do more on a personal level. And so Season and her mom, Season's my wife, uh, they went to the store and bought enough fabric to make 30 handbags, put a random orange rose on each one. And the goal was to sell them and donate the proceeds to uh, an aftercare home for trafficking survivors that mm-hmm. was that was going to represent um, at the event. And so we did that, and we had a great turnout for the first event, to, uh, sold all the bags, took orders for more. So we were like, whoa, well, maybe we need to do something with this. So a month later, we were incorporated, and I think seven months later, we had our 501c3, and it mm-hmm. was kind of a whirlwind. For the first few years, we focused exclusively on just awareness and fundraising for other organizations. At that time, we, we you know were just perusing the internet constantly trying to figure out what resources were there and it seemed like there was enough out there for people who were uh, who were working directly with sex trafficking survivors until we realized how big the issue is in the u.s right and uh through the course of time we relocated to mobile and um we kept things going and uh, we found some some gaps in service in the community that we could fill as an organization and so we kind of mobilized some efforts through the support of our church and we we launched a program and that really just kind of catapulted things into direct care and so now we have uh, direct care programming for trafficking survivors in Mobile and in Green Bay, Wisconsin and it's it's pretty amazing to see how everything just kind of exploded I think it's super cool how you say you just kind of stumbled into starting a nonprofit. I think so many people feel like they should have this clear blueprint on how they need to achieve something that they they feel called to, and it's really not always that black and white. No, no, it's it's not at all. And and when you talk about what's essential, I think for it it speaks directly to how our journey as an organization because every single thing we've done as an organization has stemmed out of a need mm-hmm. and so the first thing that that we do is we you know identify a need within the community or or a need for services and we say okay and then we look to see if anyone is is doing it okay no so we vet the need then we say okay is this something that we feel we're supposed to pursue as an organization and if the answer is yes then we start to coordinate some efforts there and then we've learned some some tips and tricks along the way but even mm-hmm. still it's just a matter of finding that need figuring out what's essential mm-hmm. and trying to not push it beyond that yeah that's really good i appreciate you sharing that and you know that translates to leading an organization for profit mm-hmm. or leading an organization not for profit or just your own personal passions and endeavors you know i think there's a lot to learn there from what you just said and that you know where's the need what's your ability to help contribute to the solution to you know maybe solve that problem or meet that need it may be something that's not within your scope or that you need some training on and you could get that as well but it may ultimately lead to exactly what it did for you guys which is hey we're compelled we take action in a way we think we can and then it just evolves and grows into something that really makes a difference and of course we know you're only scratching the surface now so there's a lot a lot still to come so that leads me to really ask you know you've already kind of alluded to how you learned about this and sex trafficking and how this kind of monumental problem uh, slavery still exists today and so many people are enslaved and I uh, have the heartbreaking privilege of knowing some of the stats and having been a part of some of your events but 
tell us a little bit about, you know, starting with maybe what sex trafficking is and what has some misnomers about it and that it, you know, it's not just the Liam Neeson <laughs> story that most people probably know that, I mean, it's going on right here in our community and some of it in broad daylight. Yeah. So it's, it's one of these issues that has a whole lot of misinformation out there. And we've been in the process of revamping some of our awareness materials. Mm-hmm. And through that, we have kind of been working on some, some new information. And one definition that we found of human trafficking is that it's the business of stealing freedom for profit. Mm. And really that's, that's what it is. And, and so when you, when you think of it that way, it makes a whole lot of sense. And so globally, they experts say that there are 20.9 million victims of human trafficking around the world. And collectively they bring in about $150 billion annually. Mm. And so it's a huge, huge industry. Yeah. And, Human trafficking encompasses two primary components, uh, two forms rather. It's um, labor trafficking, which is what you think of when you think of sweatshops or agricultural fields. But we focus on the second form, and that's sex trafficking. Yeah. And that's where where an individual is forced to perform sex acts for money, and they don't get to keep the money. They're mm. essentially enslaved. And it's, it's really, really, really contorted, and these folks are seriously manipulated and brainwashed and i mean and and literally they are they are slaves and so when when we talk about trafficking another way that we like to put it is that trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability Mm -hmm. so a lot of times what happens is a trafficker will identify a target and figure out where they're vulnerable and so the five key indicators that we've been able to identify uh, that that set a person at greater risk for sex trafficking are poverty, uh, homelessness, foster care, uh, substance abuse, and sexual trauma. Mm. And so I could go down the list of those, but when you think about you know what you know those what those key indicators, those risk factors really uh, really highlight, and it kind of you kind of answer the question. Okay, does it really happen in my community? Because no matter where you are, it's happening. If you have people that are suffering from extreme poverty, this, if you have homeless runaways, I think it's the statistics within forty eight hours of leaving home, one in four homeless runaways will be lured towards prostitution. Wow. If you have a, a high level of foster care, kids in foster care, seventy percent of domestic minor sex trafficking victims are um, are from the foster care system one of the greatest key key risk factors is prior sexual trauma so mm-hmm. 99% of sex trafficking victims are victims of prior sexual trauma every single girl that we have worked with we've worked with about 200 girls directly at this point mm-hmm. they have been victims of sexual trauma in some place in their life. And so these risk factors are basically a cocktail of things that mm-hmm. the traffickers look for and they identify them and then they, they exploit them with precision. Wow. It's heartbreaking and it's a huge problem, you know, and I think that's when you talk about the the revenue generated mm-hmm. and how many people are enslaved. I mean, it's just, it seems like an impossible mountain to climb. Yeah. Um, I heard, I don't know if you can correct me if this is wrong, that this industry is more profitable than the NFL and Major League Baseball oh, yeah. and the NBA combined. You know, it's just a, an unbelievable exploitation of people for financial gain. It absolutely is. And when you think of it being an industry and mm-hmm. making that much money, the basic principles of supply and demand apply. 
And so people yeah. ask me all the time, okay, well, how can we actually make a difference? Well, yeah. I was going to um, ask you that actually. Yeah, oh, right <laughs> on. And and it's a it's it's one of these issues that is that is very 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 dark and and yet like I said, the basic principles of supply and demand apply. You have yeah. uh, you have a product which is the person being trafficked and sold for sex. You have the salesman, which is the trafficker, and you have the quote unquote John consumer the, who's the consumer. Yeah. And so if we could just help people understand uh, people who are Johns, who are consumers, if we could help them understand what they're actually being a part of, there are some really promising statistics and measurables out there that say that when a John who is busted for soliciting prostitution mm-hmm. understands what he or she is involved in, then the likelihood of them repeating is it's very, very low. Wow. And it, you know, it's super encouraging to hear, and I know it's just a drop in a bucket, but that you've worked with 200 girls or over 200 girls and just been able to have that kind of influence, you know, and I know it, it's not all, uh, um, you know, a golden brick road <laughs> leading to a rainbow oh, and, no. and uh, oh, no. lots of ups and downs and success and failure wrapped up into that. But I love what you say on the website is the vision of iHeartWorld, which is to create a community where sex trafficking is not able to thrive and, you know, to educate people, create this awareness, which is kind of where you guys started. But now you're really getting your hands dirty, you know, with aftercare and prevention. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that, mainly because Mobile is privileged to be the home of the Rose Center, which is awesome. And I've gotten to see it and be a part of it in a little way. And I just wanted you to tell our listeners a little bit about this part of what you guys do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the Rose Center is is a drop-in center for survivors of sex trafficking. And people ask us all the time, like, why why not provide residential care? And we, we provide that in Green Bay because that was the need there. Right. The need in Mobile was daytime resources for victims of sex trafficking who are not yet ready to take that step. Quite often, they don't even realize that they're victims of trafficking itself. They, they're, they're so caught up in it that they can't see the need. And so the Rose Center is a place for them to come and receive resources, everything from a hot meal to trauma-informed therapy and counseling, health and wellness classes, yoga classes, financial mm-hmm. literacy classes, even parenting classes, because so many of the young ladies we encounter, they have children of their own. And so every girl is in her situation because uh, she she's being held there by a number of barriers. Whether that's um, needing a, pla- a safe place to live, needing job skills, um, needing life skills so that, she, so that she can live and thrive independently. Mm-hmm. So our job at the Rose Center and what our staff does so so incredibly well is they they essentially triage those needs. They work with them to identify what it is that each girl requires to be able to be strong enough to leave her situation for good, and. It's a very long journey. We, we we definitely know that in this line of work, we're, pl- we're playing the long game right. with, with the girls that we serve. And and yet it's it's just amazing to see when, they, when they're able to stop and realize, okay, so I don't have to do this anymore. This isn't my fault. That, that then they can start to, they can start to move towards independence and it's not an easy journey. It's a very, 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 very difficult journey. 
but it's it's just incredible to see how the community has rallied rallied around this issue mm-hmm. being so so unbelievably generous uh, to get the center up and running and then even to see the way that law enforcement has been open to to shifting the, shifting the paradigms that have to shift there's a there's a pretty cool award through the local FBI that we were we were just awarded mm-hmm. for for our work in conjunction with the local uh, FBI field office and so it's a lot of it's a lot of work it's not just serving the girls who are in involved in this life or recovering from the life of trafficking but it's also serving our community by providing trainings for hospitals uh, law enforcement agencies, social service agencies, basically anybody who needs to know about this issue because it does require a community effort. It requires right. collaboration to attack an issue of this nature and create a community where sex trafficking is not able to thrive because mm-hmm. that's our goal because we've identified what those pieces need to be and how they need to be in place in order to c- create that community where girls know that if they need help there's someone there to help them where johns know it's too dangerous to buy sex and where traffickers know that if they bring their business here they'll be pursued caught and prosecuted mm-hmm. and it's awesome and i've really loved hearing all the various stories about the rose center and you know it is hard to measure in a lot of ways because it is the long game mm. Uh, you really don't know what kind of impact you're having, or maybe even if you'll see somebody again, when you have the opportunity to influence them, uh, it's just plant a little seed. And sometimes you get to see it grow and flourish. And sometimes you don't and just trust that, you know, you're, you're making a difference and it's really cool. I, I really want everybody to be aware that this is a resource here on the Gulf coast and how awesome it is and, and have an opportunity to get involved. So not just with this, you know, obviously we mentioned the awareness aspect, that's with law enforcement and for the community to know what to look for and what's available to them as a resource. You know, and I love the response bags, care packages they can provide to some of these girls when they're picked up by law enforcement and, and have very little of So all kinds of neat things that we could tell you more about the end about how to, to get that info. But in addition to that, there is the aftercare component and that's where they have this residential program or home in Wisconsin. And, you know, that's a whole nother ball game and just lots going on here with Brian and season, their team and iHeartWorld, and want to give Brian an opportunity to tell us how we can get involved. Yeah. Well, that's, that's obviously the first question that, that we usually get asked. And like I said, at the beginning, that's the, uh-huh. that's the toughest question to answer. And so, uh, we've been investing a lot of time and energy into helping people find a quicker, more accessible answer to that question. And so um, we're just rolling out a new resource on our website. It's it's called Seven Ways You Can Fight Trafficking Now. Mm-hmm. And it's seven pretty easy, pretty user-friendly ways that people can take action if they're serious about taking action. Right. Every we We wholeheartedly believe that every single person can do something to combat this issue, to make a difference if they want to. And it's, you know, it's just, it's crazy to, to think about, okay, it's a, it's an issue of this magnitude. What can I actually do to make a difference? And just a right. quick example. So one of the things that we do at the Rose Center is we, we offer a hot meal to the girls that we serve. And so on Wednesday um, of this week, one of our volunteers dropped off a hot meal before the girls showed up. And um, she didn't know this, but uh, one of our participants at 
at the program when she showed up that was the first thing she'd eaten since Sunday night oh my she has uh, three little babies at home and she needed to make sure that they had food before she did and that just meant that she didn't eat and Mm -hmm. so she was able to take leftovers home to her kids and so you you think okay what what can I actually do well something as simple as making a hot meal answers as an essential need yeah. for for a person in this scenario and so when you think Maslow's hierarchy of needs yep. you know you, when you meet those basic needs like that that's the first step sometimes in somebody reaching that next level of healing that they're that they need to reach in order to reach their potential mm-hmm. and live fully independent thriving lives that's a super awesome example. And just being encouraged to know that there are things we can do, small things, big things is definitely the first place to start. And so I recommend everybody go right now, stop the podcast, uh, but come back. Cause we got a little bit more to tell you and go to iheartworld.org and get access to this resource that Brian mentioned and get these seven ideas or ways to fight trafficking. Now that will give you some things you can do, but how do people reach out, Brian, if they're listening to this and they're saying, you know, Hey, I want to be that person that brings a hot meal so that somebody can eat, or I want to be somebody that pays for sponsors a response bag or supports iHeartWorld financially. How do they get in touch? The best way to get in touch is always to start at our website, um, iHeartWorld.org. Um, if you want to reach out to us directly, you can shoot us an email at info at iHeartWorld.org. And uh, we monitor that pretty much on a 24 hour basis. Mm-hmm. And so, we can make sure you get an answer right away. But if you're looking to, to support, you can make a gift there on that website. Or if you want to support the Rose Center in particular, you can, you can go to iheartworld.org slash the Rose Center. And we have some ways that, pe- that you can support very specific things. If you, don't, if you say, you know what, I don't want to cook a meal, but I'll, I'll pay for one. So right. you, you, can, you can do that there as well. Or you can sponsor um, group therapy for, for the girls or the various different resources that we offer. We, we, we work hard to make it feel tangible for people because mm-hmm. we want people to feel connected to this issue. Not only are we, are, are we working to help the ladies that we serve, the girls we serve to find freedom, but working to help the community be empowered to be freedom fighters, you yeah. know, and, and to feel connected to this mission. So just to make sure you know, iHeartWorld is actually all spelled out. It's E-Y-E-H-E-A-R-T-W-O-R-L-D. So iHeartWorld.org. Go there, check it out. I'm excited and honored to have had Brian join us. Uh, It's been a huge privilege just to have him come and talk about this. I think so highly of him and his family and what what the organization is doing. And just hope that you've been compelled and uh, encouraged that you know you can be a part and you should be a part and support in some way. Share this podcast with everybody. You know you hear us talk a lot about how to help you focus on what's essential, but this is a huge thing that everybody can come behind and be a part of. And all of our listeners, uh, clients that are work optional, you know, looking for ways to to give and be a part of something bigger than themselves. It's a great place to start. And so before we wrap it up, you know, we always like to keep it essential. And this one's a little longer than usual. I've got kind of a fun fact here and I'll put Brian on the spot a little bit. Several years ago, before he moved, we had coffee. And during that coffee uh, hangout, I told him about a book called Essentialism. And uh, I believe he picked it up shortly thereafter. He was intrigued. But Brian, you didn't read it for quite some time. Sadly, I did not. <laughs> so I bugged him about it a little bit. But uh, 
uh, last year, Brian uh, shot me a message, just uh, wanted to let me know that he had read Essentialism and that he regretted waiting so long to read it, but Oof. that it was really good. And we were actually talking a little bit before uh, we started recording about how uh, he needs to go back through it. And, you know, I was sharing with him that it's something that I try to go back through on a yearly basis. But Brian is a, a fellow essentialist or an aspiring essentialist. And I think this is just such a huge piece of what you talk about when you talk about focusing on what matters is how do you filter out all of the noise and identify what is truly essential, that one or 2% and really go big on that, make that your highest point of contribution. And it's so cool to see Brian and season living that out, you know, kind of having this passion, this focus really become something they can really contribute to and make, the essential thing for them. So any final thoughts, Brian, on essentialism for our listeners, anything you think they should be inspired to do or to know about this soul thing? Oh man, just that <laughs> if you've been on the fence about reading this book, do yourself a favor and pick it up <laughs> and force yourself into it. It's painful, uh, but in all the best ways possible because it, it really helps you to see, oh, okay, there's some things that, that I could do less of so that I can do more yeah. of what I, what I really feel my greatest point of contribution is. Right. There's so many great sound bites, you know, I can't take any credit for any of this. It's all from Greg McEwen and from the book, but it just has had such an impact on my life. But, you know, by saying no to even what appear to be really good things, mm. it allows us to say yes to those really great things. And so, Highly encourage you. You can go back. We have uh, some episodes here you can find on essentialism where we just kind of talk about it and highly encourage you to read the book. So just thought I'd uh, share that little common thread that I have with Brian here to all of you. As you know, we have our process, the essential formula, and this is the essential podcast. So I felt it was only right. So anyway, in the meantime, we uh, would love to answer any questions you have here. Feel free to reach out to us via email or phone. And we can put you in touch with Brian or tell you more about iHeartWorld, or you can reach out, like he mentioned, through the website or via email. Until next time, hope you make it a great day and keep it essential. Thanks for sticking around after the music here. And as always, we appreciate you tuning into the Essential Podcast. Just have a quick disclosure for you here. Securities are offered through S.A. Stone Wealth Management, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. And advisory services are offered through S.A. Stone Investment Advisors, Inc.